I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It is the morning after the night before Portugal are the European champions. Adam Board here alongside Lawrence McKenna. A hundred times better today. I feel good now that Portugal have won the Euros. Dave, you feeling good? Yeah, I, it's been an enjoyable tournament, but it was ended with the pre-Paul game. I feel like I've got a bit of a European championships hangover. You know, you feel really, really tired. Mm. You don't yeah, know why. Anyway, it's, been, it's been a pretty full-on a uh, couple of weeks in the European Championship. As I said, Portugal are the champions, Dave. Are they deserving champions for you? Because, of course, they didn't dominate a single game. Infamously, they won just one game in 90 minutes. Uh, they were ahead on the scoreline for just 74 minutes over the course of the entire tournament. But, of course, supremely organised, um, conceded just one goal in 420 minutes of knockout football and proved incredibly difficult to break down as France found out. I think they were they were perfect. They were a perfect tournament team. They remind me of an Italian team where they, they're really, really good at taking a sting out of a game. Whenever France had a bit of dominance, um, especially in the final, whenever Portugal recovered the ball, they'd slow it down at the back. They really would, you know, if it wasn't Pepe clearing it and it being sort of quite decisive, they'd really slow it down. William Carvalho would pick up the ball and it'd just kill the tempo. You know, in the game, he completed 91% of his passes. He had Griezmann in his pocket for most of the game. He just had a fantastic display, um, dropping in, in between the centre backs when need be to you know to clean up or you know following a runner, but it was just it was a brilliant Portuguese performance in a way that tactically it was near enough perfect. They've sort of done that for the whole tournament. Is they've they've killed the game, they've slowed it down. But when they've been on top, they've played some pretty nice football together. Um, you know, some very nice interchange of passes. There were some really nice good moves yesterday. It's just because they're playing these sort of four central midfielders or um, you know three central midfielders throughout the whole tournament in the midfield that just gives them such good work rate. But I do you know France probably should have won you know they could have made a few tactical changes that could have potentially won the game for them but overall I think this Portuguese team does deserve it for the way that they play you mentioned William Carvalho of course there was Rui Patricio in goal who's outstanding he made the most saves in a Euros final uh, since any other keeper since 1980 Um, Pepe was a rock of course alongside Jose Font who is actually now the first player uh, to win the European Championship and the Johnston Payne Trophy which I'm sure we'll all agree is incredible incredible achievement um of course they did it all about ronaldo lawrence who hobbled off early on in the game of course one of the first players to win the champions league and the euros in the same season along with really? pepe oh well, pepe. the question pepe. came in from charles antionales he said are cristiano ronaldo and pepe now officially the kings of europe having done that double 
Um, do I, what do you do? I have to quantify. Are they literally that? the kings, the uh, the continent now. Do they make laws? Do they? Is that what happens when you win both of those trophies in a, in a season? Uh, I think that happens. Uh, although at the same time, I think you also become the biggest target. So you know, <laughs> you, you want to watch your back. Who would you rather have as the, as the king of Europe, Ronaldo or Pepe? I think Pepe would rule with an iron fist. I yeah, I feel I like Ronaldo, scary, but, but Ronaldo would rule with an arrogant fist at times. So, <laughs> you know, I don't. What's an arrogant fist. I, yeah, you know, sort of. Ooh, don't cross me because I'm better than you. <laughs> He'd build statues to himself, like in every town, wouldn't he? It would be, <laughs> be a massive uh, waste of public. It'd be like Mao, wouldn't it? Sort of at the uh, <laughs> yeah. cultural revolution where there'd loads of people would die, but there'd be loads of six statues of Ronaldo doing the like a goal celebration. I feel it's less like Mao. I feel it's more like Kim Jong-un or Kim yeah. Jong-il, yeah. you know? More of a... Um... Although, no, actually, it has to be someone who's an effective dictator because actually Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il are um, fairly ineffective on the rest of the world, aren't they? You do want an effective... I know. Ronaldo would be pretty effective. He is uh, a very efficient man. I think He'd be so. powerful, I feel, as a dictator. Oh, yeah. yeah. Although I can't no. believe we're still sort of on that subject. Well, Maybe he'd be the dictator in the future, but for now, obviously Portugal did it without him, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, would they even have won if he had stayed on the pitch? It was weirdly... It almost weirdly worked in Portugal's favour that the more the game went on, France, him going off seemed to almost drain France of energy. Really? Mm, uh, yeah. Well, I felt like it, when he went off, they were kind of like, you know, France almost became less urgent. They felt like... They could be that, Yeah, that sort of, not arrogance, but it creeped on them that, oh, you know, okay, we're, we're going to win this one, actually. We're going to win this one. And oh. the longer it went on, they didn't win it. It sort of played into Portugal's hands. They started to come into the game. Admit they didn't have a shot until the 80th minute. But, you know, that chance from Narnia where he hit the bar. And then, of course, an extra time, Adair was scoring that, that, that wonderful winner. It, it almost worked in Portugal's favour, weirdly. I feel like it worked. I mean, Dave will probably tell you tactically how it worked. But I feel like it, it also put uh, the, the, the impetus with Portugal because it felt a bit like, it almost felt like there was a weight lifted in a sense that he didn't have to keep getting it to Ronaldo it felt mm. like there was almost a, a different kind of dynamism to the side because those other players essentially had the responsibility yeah I think it definitely I think the, the, the tactically was a very interesting game you know before Ronaldo they were playing in the diamond that they played for most of the tournament and then when he went off they probably, you know, switched to a 4-5-1 with Gian Mario who had boundless energy yesterday he was just running and running and running for the 120 minutes but then Charisma came on into a wide area I thought with Nani through the middle um, I thought it could be a good move but kept the ball it didn't stick you know Samuel Titi got very very tight to Nani when he was playing um, as the centre forward so potentially if he could have moved Kresmer centrally and put Nani out wide a little bit earlier might have worked but obviously with Edda coming on you know a player that you know we've seen in uh, play for Swansea and be pretty rubbish but that goal was, was a fantastic goal and it, you know it sort of in a way summed up the tournament this tournament's been a lot a lot of you know late goals um, very laboured games but goals of, of high quality so yeah, it kind of it was fitting in a way, but obviously a bit upset for you know the French fans who, who could have had a really good party yesterday. They unfortunately, probably <laughs> cried in their beers to sleep. But then Some also, people- I mean, a little bit maybe a little bit disappointed because you know Ronaldo didn't last the whole time, and this sort of felt like the zenith of where he was peaking this season. Oh, he you still know. managed to he, he got amongst it, didn't he? I think he managed to make it about him and he Ronaldo he, time. You know the mop yeah. on the face, uh, putting Fonte back on when he went off. 
But obviously he he was key to them getting out of the groups in the first place with the game against Hungary. Obviously in the semis against Wales, he was there. So although he didn't play the, the big part in the final, he still obviously played a big part in the winning the tournament. And in I many mean, ways it was a bit like him sort of, that they won it for him when he wasn't yeah, on the pitch. There was something quite yeah, sweet yeah. about that. He was almost like a manager on the touchline. You see that he was sort of ordering players around. He was telling uh, Guerrero to get back on the pitch when he's coming off injured. He was, was like Guerrero, chest right? bumping the manager. It was all, it was... It was great. I can see a future managerial career for Ronaldo, maybe. Which would be very, very strange. What you didn't see, though, on the French side is, is that, did you? You saw Deschamps looking pretty worried for the whole game. I think, again, you, know, you mentioned how when Ronaldo went off, the pressure was sort of put onto France. And I think Deschamps sort of felt that with his changes were, were very, very peculiar. And again, how many times I talk about Anthony Martial this season and him playing 70 minutes in a tournament um, is mental, absolutely mental. I don't understand why Kingsley Coman came on for Payet. Surely the attacking change would have brought to bring Sissoko off, Payet, um, sorry, Sissoko off, and then Coman on or Martial on. It just seemed a bit It's weird, that one, though. Wrong. Sissoko was potentially the man of the match, and, you know, he, he did still seem to have that ability to drive but past he did players. Tire. Yes, he tired. But... Around 60 minutes, he was, re- I agree, very, very effective in the first 60. Um, but then it was, you know, he did tire, you know, it was... His eight take-ons that he attempted, I think he attempted, so in the game he only attempted nine take-ons throughout the whole 120 minutes. Eight of them came in the first 60 minutes. Again, with his shots, you know, he had five shots in the game, three came in those first 60 minutes. I just felt that he, he did tire because he was putting in such a shift. In a way, it looked a little bit like, not to say that he was doping, but it looked like it was Sissoko. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Like, obviously, it wasn't that, that's not the case, but what right. it felt like, it just... This player that we've seen be so useless for Newcastle United this season that steps up in the European um, Championship final and really explodes in the first half and is the danger man. Sort of putting in a Paul Pogba-esque uh, performance <laughs> in a way. You've sort of seen Paul Pogba drift past people um, so many times from the halfway line to get shot to And Suzoka was sort of playing that role. It was just... It's a very confusing game. You do you talk about Pogba there, Dave, and uh, and Zizoko and almost like a Freaky Friday body switch, almost. But at the same time, Didier Deschamps has to come in for his fair share of criticism. I mean, Pogba again playing too deep, almost felt yeah. compromised playing in that midfield. No Kante starting. Some people criticising him, not just for the substitutions, if you've if you've sort of pointed out, but also the way he set up his team from the start. Yeah, I think like before we even dive into tactically why it was a big issue playing Pogba there and not having N'Golo Conte, just look at his stats. They're not very Paul Pogba-esque. Paul Pogba shoots a lot. Um, in Serie A uh, last season, he shot a lot and he, he dribbled past opponents a lot. In the final, he had one shot on goal and completed one take-on. So he dribbled past one opponent in the entire game. That's just not Paul Pogba. That is a terrible, terrible way of using Paul Pogba. Tactically, it was far too deep. Because Matuidi, we all know Matuidi. I love Matuidi. I think he's a brilliant player, but he's a player that does his running in the final third. He doesn't. He's not. A, he's not a midfielder that sits. So the problem with that was Paul Pogba was sitting, and tactically he's not ready to play that position yet. Yeah, when he's 32, 33, Paul Pogba will be absolutely fantastic at playing the PLO role. He'll sit in front of the back four and he'll move at the right time. The problem for me was um, he was sort of uh, say there were two two French centre backs. I'm going to try and describe this as well as I can because visually it'd be great if we could have a visualisation. But obviously this is a podcast, so imagine two centre backs sitting um, just south of the halfway line. So one of them's uh, MTT is sort of playing that left centre-back role and then you'd say uh, Koscielny was sort of sitting in the middle and then Pogba at some points looked like he was playing as a third centre-back which is absolutely mental that's so far away from the zone that he can 
create and change things. The problem with that was he'd give a pass into central midfield or he'd give a pass to one of the full one of the full backs or one of the centre backs and he wouldn't move. He wasn't operating in the space that you'd expect someone like Pirlo to operate in front of the back two. He was operating next to them or within them and there was no movement. As soon as he gave the ball he never moved and took it back. You know that's been a reason why though, hasn't there? I don't know what he, he looked. He did look a little bit petulant. It looked a little bit grumpy. There was a pass on the 82nd minute that he made that was within the centre circle that was unbelievable to Kingsley Coman, you know, found his feet. But that pass should have been played about three or four passes before. And I think that's the problem with Pogba at the moment in that position, that he's a little bit slow sometimes. So if he could have given it to the centre-back, moved into the space just in front of the centre-backs, picked it back and then played that pass, it was sort of, it was just too laboured, too long and it's, it's frustrating because I've seen Paul Pogba a lot this season and he's a wonderful player. But yes, he still does drift out of games. But for me, playing him where, he, where Deschamps played him yesterday was so stupid considering he bought Angulo Conte that played the cleaner role for Danny Drinkwater uh, last season in a midfield that won the Premier League that was a very dominant midfield. Pogba and Angulo Conte would have been a brilliant midfield together and it, it never happened. Or even Pogba and someone like Morgan Schneidlin, mm. you know, a player that gets forward a player that sits it's, it, it seems simple but he was playing two midfielders that like to get forward I feel and like we do we do need some yeah I think a lot of managers were looking at how they can uh, out manage other managers or out uh, system other managers and I do think that maybe some of the analysis or some of the times I don't mean you Dave but I mean like some of the the ways that we define players in the teams now are changing to become more adaptable or people are beginning to play in slightly different positions and definitely at this tournament that's been the case because managers have had to make most of their resources and essentially what they've uh, maybe what we don't take into account is pre-tournament people are thinking right we're going to play this way and we'll mm. take the, uh, play to these strengths then when you get to the tournament you find that maybe people are sitting deeper than you thought or you know someone's playing a midfield like Portugal played last night and you haven't necessarily thought about that uh, yeah. or it hasn't played out in the way they thought and I think that's why you know we've got we, you're very right to focus on the individual but at the same time the systems at this tournament I think have been, they've felt, the analysis has felt a bit makeshift, but at the same time, I also feel like the systems are still coming together. I, I imagine you wouldn't play those systems in a full season, but they work very well at a tournament. Well, that's what Portugal is. Portugal is that system. That's what, they, that's what they, they've won the tournament because they played the best system. Tactically, it was the best system. It was the most compact. It was the most difficult to break down. Again, you know, you look at it and how um, William Carvalho and Pepe did a job on Antoine Griezmann, you know, the big French threat. Um, you sort of think that Pogba so and Matuidi should have had space then, but then you look at who's pressing them for the entire game. You've got um, Andre Silva, who was, has been brilliant at that. Um, obviously, Renato Sanchez, and then coming off the bench, you've got João Moutinho, players that are very good at that. But then that would lead you to saying to France, play a lot wider, open up the space down the flanks, you know, test the fullbacks. Guerrero had, has had a fantastic tournament, but... Has he been really tested? Probably not. Cedric um, Suarez at play for Southampton. Has he been tested? Probably not. When you've got players of Payet's quality, um, Martial's quality, you've got to be a bit, a little bit smarter when it, when the push comes to the shove. And you're playing one way. And again, Deschamps has had a struggle with this in the tournament to change how you're playing. Mm. You know, he stumbled on this Griezmann playing number ten, which is mental considering what Griezmann is, is as a player. But it just seems that France have got a lot of they've. Basically, for me, France should have won this tournament um, after Germany, obviously, but they, they should have beaten this Portuguese to be team. Fair, they, and I think maybe you're right to mention Germany because in the previous tournament, it was either Yogi Love or one of the Germany players who said, we'd think very differently about this team if, we, if Goetze hadn't come on and scored that goal. We'd think mm. of them as the nearly men. And I think 
you're right in a lot what you say, but the only bit I disagree is uh, that he stumbled upon some of these things. I think he's been very experimental, but I think it's totally how we term him, uh, how we put the terms around those management that defines how we see the team. And I actually think that the team was very much up for experimenting and trying a lot of different things because, uh, you know, there were the likes of uh, Giroud there and Gignac and uh, Coleman, who's a young guy who's quite hungry to sort of prove Mm. what he can do. And then I think there were a couple of other guys who maybe were put out by that because, you know, I think, you know, like you say, Paul Pogba, and he had to play a role that maybe he wasn't particularly happy with. And I think uh, when it comes to the final, they definitely came up against the Portugal team who were all a load of egos together and Mm. all knew that if they push on this one, then they were getting where they wanted to go. And not only where they wanted to go during this tournament, but for a very long time, because this Portugal team has been on the cusp of something for a while, whereas maybe this is one tournament too early for quite a few of these French guys. Well, we had at Group the Dragon writing it on Twitter, the tournament that proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that the system is king, of course, referring to Portugal, as Dave says there. I mean, Lawrence, what do you make of all these people? (laughs) Dave doesn't be talking. Check it out on YouTube. Um, What do you make of all these people who say uh, (laughs) Portugal didn't deserve to win? You know, they played rubbish football. Surely, you know, okay, it wasn't the most scintillating football. As I said, they didn't manage a shot last night on target until the 80th minute. But at the end of the day, the the way they played that one in their first major tournament, surely they're well within their rights to play that way. Absolutely. And I think we go back to the same with Denmark, Greece, Portugal. Uh, You know, they're not going to be the most popular champions because I think a lot of people say, you know, you didn't play the way that people wanted you to. But I also think that's partly in uh, a way of looking at taste. You know, we can, I think a really great example of that is the Arsenal side. The Arsenal fans over the years have been, um, they've had something great to feast on under Wenger, something incredible to look at. Shout out Lawrence. But not, not long before he arrived, 1 0 to the Arsenal was a very popular mm. shout. And there was something inc- to be incredibly proud of there. And I just think we've had our gaze slightly shifted in Europe. Um, to, to, towards a certain aspect of football which maybe makes some people a little bit snotty and a little bit so well why aren't you playing that's anti-football if you don't play it the way that I want you to play it because there's a certain level of entitlement of well we're paying the money we're getting entertained etc and I see what you're saying but at the same time I think you know you're, you're more than entitled to say that I think at the same time, you can't complain then when someone gives you a feast of something different, which is still just as appreciable. And I think Portugal have done that uh, at times in this tournament. And they've also sort of added a little bit more to that by playing some very nice football in between. Um, So I I guess it's the pragmatic way they have to look at it. Well, tactically, it wasn't an interesting tournament, wasn't it, Dave? Because it at least appeared to support the notion that the end of Possession football is nigh. Eight out of ten teams with the highest possession in the tournament failed to get past the quarterfinals. And of course, Iceland say European Championship record for the lowest possession in a game without losing uh, when they had a 27.8% off the ball against Portugal. Um, I mean, is this just, you know, demonstrating that continuing shift towards counterattacking football and basically, you know, being well organized and efficient without the ball? Yeah, well, I think that's a big thing of football, though. It's transition there. There's lots of tactical things that have been very interesting with this tournament. But what I'd say with that is I feel that teams that have played with the ball have been lazy. They've not played, they've, they've not stretched the opposition. They've not stretched them um, horizontally in the final third. And that has been their biggest problem. They're far too narrow. The wide forwards, because there's a trend of, of wide forwards cutting inside, their starting position is too narrow. And ultimately, that's cost them because it's so easy to defend against. If you're playing a deep block and you're, you're, you know, the two most dangerous players on the opposition team are both cutting in, 
Yeah, you, you're laughing. You can just block that with players. They're not going to beat them all. There's no, you know, there is a Cristiano Ronaldo in the world. There is a Lionel Messi. Ronaldo probably doesn't do that anymore, where he takes on five or six players and then scores. Messi still does. Ed that's Ed the does thing. Adair does it, obviously. Yeah. But that, that that was the thing because teams have kind of forgotten what they do. It. I don't. It's it's an interesting. It really, it really is an interesting one. You, know, you look at Pep Guardiola. How everything is built between playing in between the lines, having possession but playing in between the lines. I don't think. Uh, you know, some of those teams that had the ball did that. They didn't play between the lines. They didn't have enough width in the final third. It's two things of if you play that style of football that you must keep is, is, those, is those things. You've got to be penetrative and you've got to keep width. And, and it, I feel that those teams that you probably mentioned there all were, were suspect to that issue at some point um, in their campaign. And probably when they got knocked out in the gap that game, that's what was happening. You know, you probably mentioned Switzerland will be one of those teams. You'd say Germany is going to be one of those teams that got knocked out for playing too narrow in, in a big game. Um, Spain, massively too narrow against Italy. Belgium were far too narrow. You know, the list goes, this is just off the top of my head. But <laughs> this is the thing. I think it, it's very interesting. Though, for um, you know, football, someone that's into tactics at the moment, this is such an interesting space right now because it's evolving. And that's the best thing. I, I'm, I'm less so happy when we're in the middle of a cycle. I like when the cycle has ended and the new one's coming in. What's the new <laughs> style? The three-five-two. you know, that I've been a fan of for probably about two years. I used to hate the formation, but I've now got an appreciation of it. Interestingly, the, the two teams that were seen as, the, you know, some of the biggest underdogs or the weakest teams in the tournament, you know, Wales being one and then Italy being a very poor Italian team, both played a 3-5-2 that got them very far. And that, again, was a system. And that's been the most interesting thing of this tournament. Again, a good, great question is that system ha- the systems have governed this tournament. Um, there's not been a massive explosion of individuals. We've probably just got Antoine Griezmann that's being really appreciated now. Probably should have been appreciated about two or three years ago. But now everyone's seeing his, his quality and his ability to put the ball in the back of the net. It's, it's fresh. It's very, very fresh. And it, it's great to see a player that, that loves what he's doing so much. But it, it's... You know, is there any other players that you lads have seen that have really emerged that have that have been unknowns at the start of the tournament? Well, Joe Allen, uh, the Welsh pillar, he's, he, he wasn't known before. So how did he get in that team? Sorry, to what team? Team of the tournament. Team of the tournament. He got, got in. He got in the UEFA team. Team of the tournament. Yeah. Did he now? Let's mm. yeah, um, let's come on to your team in a, in a moment, Dave. Your team of the tournament. But Lawrence, I want to get your sort of closing thoughts on the tournament in terms of a lot of people saying this has been an average European Championships. Um, it's been interesting tactically as Dave puts forward, but. That expansion from 16 to 24 teams, some saying that it's produced too many tedious matches in the group stages, too many teams simply looking to avoid defeat. I mean, the winner of the overall thing, of course, uh, in their group. So although we've seen teams like Wales and Iceland succeed and sort of become these, these great stories, at the same time, there wasn't much entertaining football on offer. Yeah, um, I mean, you, can, you can't really challenge that. I think that the observations are quite obvious that you know, the, the football was a result of expanding the tournament, but the whole that kind of misses the purpose of expanding the tournament, I think. The purpose of expanding the tournament was to bring sides in who, I mean, and ultimately those sides didn't win it, but that's not the point, um, was ultimately to bring sides in who maybe wouldn't have had a chance to compete otherwise, um, or maybe are looking to expand their own federation. So, for instance, uh, you know, people talk about the prize money for Wales. They got their... Uh, 15.1 million or whatever you want to call it while England only got their 9.6 but um, you know Albania will have got some money there and that can go into their grassroots football or wherever they want to put that I think you know basically getting to the tournament was great I also think it's unusual because actually when they say they expanded the tournament so teams who were further down the table could get in 
some of the teams who crept into the tournament were the teams who went through the playoffs. Um, so, you know, we'll see, I mean, it, you know, people forget Sweden from this tournament. You know, they went out early, but at least they were there. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was, uh, you, also, you almost wanted to saw that last hurrah for Ibrahimovic. Is that a good thing? The point is there was 24 teams and the purpose of it was to expand the tournament to allow people to earn some money, to get on the map, to essentially show that their players were good enough, maybe get them bought by a bigger team and, you know, sort of set up some relationships. I think it's partly about networking. And so, and sometimes networking events are boring. So we did get some, we, we got some great moments though. I mean, Wales, as I've said, Iceland, of course, uh, unforgettable. Hungary top in their group and Ireland sort of getting through to the group stages. Albania although, won their first match of, of any yeah, I mean, that's a huge, you know, I know that cops. seems underwhelming to us, but it's a huge moment. Yeah. And they're, they're enjoyable moments, I think. The, most of those moments be unforgettable. How Robson Carno, of course, with his little turn, but when it passed Belgium, uh, I was hammering them, really. There, there were some great moments, although, as I said, the football wasn't great. Let's, let's sort of move on to some of our almost end-of-tournament awards. We'll come on to your team of the tournament, Dave, because I'm interested to see who you've put in there. I'm sure you're going to disagree with some of my picks. Um, for you guys, what was the game of the tournament? For me, as I mentioned there, it's got to be Wales beating Belgium 3-0. I think it was such a convincing win, um, such a wonderful performance as well. Seeing Chris Vokes rise with that looping header into the top corner was brilliant stuff. So for me, it's that game. Uh, similar for you, Lawrence, are you going to go for another pick? I enjoyed England-Iceland. Yeah, that was highly amusing, I have to um, say. Not only amusing, but again, sort of showed the difference between the nations and the sides. So I, I genuinely, game of the tournament. Nice. Um, Dave, what was your game of the tournament? It's really tough, actually. I think the, the Portugal-Hungary game was, was, was just brilliant because it was a bit freer than the rest of the tournament. They actually opened up a bit. Mm. We did see a few goals. Ronaldo was dominant in that game. Um, maybe Spain. I really enjoyed Spain-Italy because, um, yeah. again, it was like that whole, you know, the Spanish, um, that Spanish generation in a way sort of coming at the, the end of their cycle but being beaten by a very well-organised Italian side and it was, you know, tactically, it was very, very interesting. So maybe... I'll go with that. You know, the wing backs were so crucial to that Italian win. Forenzi and Desiglio were were fantastic. So yeah, I'm going to go with that game. Okay. Okay. Threads to a, a close, like sort of see uh, how do you say it? Charge hard them, I guess. Sort of it ended a few. <laughs> it ended quite a few uh, tight, untidy endings, and Italy got what they wanted in the end, which everyone says was revenge. What about your best goal? of the tournament. I mentioned Robson Carney there with his Cruyff turn that sent three players off to the shops. We had Jordan Shakiri's pretty spectacular um, overhead kick. We had Payet Banger in the opening game against Romania. Banger was uh, I mean, Edez' goal in the final was good. Edez' goal. Do you think Larice is disappointed? Um, no, it was, a pretty, it was a pretty special goal, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was surprising. I mean, mm, you know, you can't to be it? beaten from that distance, yes, but... Oh, mm. God, the tournament. Um, I'm tempted to go for Shakiri, to be honest, because that was pretty spectacular. I'm going to go for Shakiri. Uh, any... Yeah, the, I can't remember who's... I think it was... Uh, or must have been... Who was it? Uh, Blaschikovsky's goal against Switzerland, you know, oh, yeah, where nice. Milik yeah. did the duck. Yeah. It was a brilliant counter-attacker, and Milik did that really good duck. Yeah, I really... I quite enjoyed that goal. Mm, um, you Modric's know what? goal we mentioned that one who? Modric against uh, yeah no, I think a lot of people sort of uh, felt like it was a bit of a weird one wasn't it? felt like the keeper that was one where I felt like the keeper maybe misjudged it slightly isn't that kind of the point even though of the it was goal? A great that's kind of the point of the, the surprising goal the goal the player who comes up with a surprising moment I guess I guess if you can think it it can happen 
It's mm. got to be Shakiri, surely. Well, I know no, Robson, I'm, Robson Kanu is pretty incredible. And it also had pretty big implications on the game, didn't it? I think yeah. the, the reason that I, I don't rate Shakiri's in the same way is because it doesn't feel the same kind of pressure. Whereas I, f- I feel like with Robson Kanu, it was like there was, you know, that there are some players around him who are very highly rated. You know, all the, that great moment, the fact that it was, you know, a goal in such a big game. I think that for me tips it over. What about the I mentioned for the Morata goal with the how, I don't know how many passes it was. Oh, he, right. he saw that was a pretty was special goal in its own right. Before, yeah, it's something ridiculous. Twenty three, I think. I remember tweeting about it. I counted all the passes. Six. I'm, I'm on a bit of a, a knob. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Great knob. How about biggest disappointment of the tournament? Um, obviously, England and Roy Hodgson uh, are up there. Zlatan Zlatan's yeah. Zlatan's cool. Zlatan, in the final, perhaps, Dave. And then- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That might be a, a shout for you. That's unfair, isn't it? No, I, th- I, think, <laughs> I think it's been a disappointment for the whole tournament. He's <laughs> very frustrated with the deal of He's been winding me up consistently. It's like he's got a vendetta against me to have a heart attack. He does. I, I just, yeah, not sure. Maybe we obviously discussed it a bit before about the tactics and how everything was wrong. What about Brexit? Yeah, oh, Brexit. Yeah, that was a big disappointment for me, Lawrence. Brexit, Chilcot inquiries, all those. The, yeah. the reports, Black Lives Matter. That was all very disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah, that wasn't great. Um, Belgium? Mark. Yeah, yeah, but it was cold, though. We knew that was happening, Adam. That was just you know written in the stars was it also maybe that this was sort of the last tournament of this uh format because obviously uh not format but uh you know it's staged in one country uh for for the euros at least next one's going to be pan-european and i sort of felt a bit like france was a bad way to go out yeah Uh, yeah it it, it just i don't know It, it all felt a little bit sort of like oh yeah we've done this before you know we're all here Right, the Russians are going to have a bit of a go at the English. The English are going to have a go back. <laughs> you know, I think that was the di- disappointment of the tournament as well. I think I, was, I think the Russians were particularly disappointed with themselves because, you know, I know they had a few big guys drop out, but I still think that there was an expectation in Russia they would do better than almost roll over for some of these sides. They, mm. they were made to look like the whipping boys of the tournament. And surely, surely that's not what the guys at the very top wanted, a manager rocking back and forth on the bench whilst his players out on the pitch. <laughs> did, you, 
Uh, Did you hear the quote from him? That apparently he... So after the second game, he had a meeting with all the team. And the meeting went on until nine o'clock in the morning. And where they concluded... It started at 8.15. We're shit. And we're just not going to go anywhere in the tournament. So at least they, at least they, you know, they had that meeting and realised what was going on. <laughs> um, Do you feel a little bit like that sort of, that's, that is the isolationism of maybe some of the approaches to a camp? And that's poor management, you've got to say then. You can't, Essentially, yeah, you've got to believe it. Yourself, you know, you? Can you imagine if it got out that Roy Hodgson had, <laughs> had a meeting and gone, guys, it turns out we're not as good as we thought. <laughs> it would just, I think it's, the press would rip him apart. Um... We've got a question here, still in Euro 2016. Louis Murad saying, who are the most overshadowed players of the tournament who played great but were not talked about enough? Um, Good question. Uh... I feel like Jose Font uh, was obviously instrumental on the way to the final, not just in the final. Obviously, Pepe and uh, Ronaldo taking the plaudits last night, but he, he, he felt pretty crucial to, to, the, to the winning side. Uh, again, someone there? I mentioned before, William Carvalho had mentioned him before, yeah. just not being picked up at all. Same with Krajovac, two sort of players who have been pretty decent. Got himself moved to PSG there. Yeah, so this is a fair point. You know, um, Kuba was very good when he was there. Blaschikovsky was, was mm. awesome. Um, you know, we're thinking he was directly involved in every single one of the Poland the pole, pole goals. So, Any other picks for you, Lawrence, who maybe uh, have impressed you but have maybe flown a little bit under the radar? Could you go for Ashley Williams for, uh, for Wales? <laughs> Uh, I think so. People were impressed with him, but they weren't mentioning him in, say, the same breadth as, as Pepe as the defender of the tournament. But he probably should. Yeah, he probably should be in that conversation. Could you uh, go? Uh, who was the guy? Just said, who's the Joe Ledley? Could you go with Joe Ledley? He's got some. He's got some moves. I'll give him that. I will give him that. Um, on a tournament. Who, what, Dave? Oh yeah. Go, go on. Yeah. yeah. Back to Dave. On a, on a similar uh, theme, Matt underscore C97 writes in which one player has increased their individual price tag the most because of this tournament? Uh, Just not quite, you know, not, not an easy question, but a, a simpler question in a way that Antoine Griezmann now is regarded as one of the best players in the world. Potentially, yeah. I mean, he just signed that, that nice, juicy contract with Atletico Madrid, but he is... Yeah, maybe he, he sort of elevated himself onto the Ballon d'Or conversation mm. level in the Ooh, tournament. I don't know about that. Well, that's what people are... I don't think he is, yeah. I think certainly before the final. I know now we'll come on to that, but it might be a foregone conclusion he's going to win it. But before the final, people are, oh, Griezmann, you know, six goals, top scorer. Could he win the Ballon d'Or this year? Probably not, but he, he does feel like he, he's gone to the next level in, in, the, in the public consciousness, perhaps. Um, if only they got to vote. Yeah, in many ways. Uh, anyone else who's sort of elevated their price tag? Essentially Ramsey, if, you know, if anyone wants to go in there for him. Obviously, he had a very, very good yeah. tournament. Uh, Joe Allen might uh, have squeezed a few more millions out of Swansea Olivier if they want to get back. Um, who's decreased the most? Paul Pogba, Dave, maybe? <laughs> Probably, yeah. He was on 200 million at the beginning of the tournament. <laughs> if, you want, if, if you judge a, judge a player on one performance, yeah. yeah. He's, he's rubbish. I feel sorry for him because like you said, Dave, he, was, he wasn't helped by the way he was played by Didier Deschamps. And people are making a judgment on him perhaps having not seen him play for Juventus over the course of the season. Oh, he's rubbish. He's never worth it. Sissoko's worth 100 million. It feels a little bit uh, over the top. But then, 35, 35 million, Adam. Come on. That's what yeah. Newcastle have stamped the price tag on. Wow, wowie. Um, what to think about some, you know, David Alaba. No, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he's, he had a very, very poor Euros. Oh, mate, I, I feel like that is a little bit unfair. I think his team very much let him down. 
Mm, but, but he was part of that team though as well. You know, the, the, yeah, the, the but he was. He, he probably had. He probably had some of the more he more highlighted performance within the side. So. Oh, you probably, Dave. You probably picked out the one player who has increased his price tag. The motive you're saying, Musa Zoko has now got a 35 million pound price tag point. Is it by Newcastle? That's definitely increased by about 20 million. And they're paying back all the money that they've spent with a single Musa Zoko sale. Unbelievable, Jeff. There you have it, um, Dave. Should we hear your team of the tournament then? Yes. Right. And you go, my team. Right. So we've got Hugo Lloris in goal. <sighs> Difficult one. No, um, Patricio. Yeah, Patricio was was awesome in the final, but um, I think Lloris was better through the. Through the whole tournament, um, I think left back uh, for me it's Jonas Hector. I think Guerrero had a very good um, last few games in the tournament. But I think Hector was very, very good. Um, and then interestingly at right back because I feel that there hasn't been many well, many good performances at right back. Piszczek was really good. Um, Husin was very good when I went to go and see him against Switzerland in Albania. Um, yeah, a lot of people are talking about Kimmich, but for me that was a little bit of the Germany issue that Kimmich, who isn't naturally a fullback, struggled in the final third when he was in good position. So I'm going to go with Bakary Sagner because I feel that he had a very wow. good tournament because we're not talking about him making mistakes. And obviously that would be a thing that you'd, you'd highlight with him, but he just had a good, solid, steady tournament. Yeah, fair so, enough. Here's with the centre-backs. Hit us with moving it. Moving on to centre-backs. Obviously we're going to have the main man, the most underrated player in world football, Bonucci, who's going to be partnered by the main man, Pepe, obviously for being the... Um, you know, a brilliant display in the final 11 clearances, uh, just completely shut up shop for, for Portugal. But the incredible thing that I found today was that he committed four fouls through the whole tournament. Someone like Pepe, that's, that's insane. Um, but again, what was also quite good was his um, shithouse are even going down. He, he drew, so he, only, he committed four fouls in the tournament, but he drew 11 fouls. And it was always doing the Nemanja Vidic, you know, when you're pressurised in a corner and you just dive and you go down. But uh, it, it, you know, it's the gamesmanship that, again, a very Italian um, workman-like Portuguese team that won the tournament. Defensive midfield, um, I think it's going to be William Carvalho again. thought it was absolutely mega when he played for uh, you know, plays played for Portugal, either at the tip of the base of a diamond or the base of a three-man midfield. And just great promise as well in terms of the way that he did it, wasn't it? It was just really nice. And he's got a wonderful moustache. It looks like a, it looks like a Che Guevara, not Che Guevara, sorry, a Pablo Escobar moustache that he's got, obviously, what a lad. Um, I'm going to play a diamond because that was the sort of Portuguese default system. So I'm going to have Tony Cruz um, and the Krovac in central midfield, Aaron yes. Ramsey at the tip, and then the front two, I'm going to go with Bale and Antoine Griezmann. I do love it when Dave talks about the tip. Um, <laughs> interesting. Okay, Bale and Griezmann for no uh, space for Ronaldo. No. I didn't... He had an impact on two games in the tournament. Yeah. But then that's still an achievement. But I feel that Ramsey, Bale and Griezmann were throughout the tournament. They were, well, you know, throughout the tournament, they were very... More consistent. No Payet either. He sort of faded towards the end. Again, yeah. I think with Payet, he's a bit of a flat track bully for me. I feel that he's very good against the weaker teams. But when teams come up against him and they have a plan to deal with him, he struggles a little bit. I wouldn't have taken him on off last night when, when Deschamps did. But he did struggle in the, the courses, struggled a bit in the semis and did struggle in the... The, 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 set, the final, sorry, in stages. But then he did play that wonderful pass for um, Antoine Griezmann. So, you know, a very, you know, increasing his stock, increasing his value. They have it, guys. Euro 2016 is over. Was it the best tournament ever or the worst tournament ever? Um, in this day and age, can, day and age, it can only be one or the other, I'm afraid. Right. I'm going to say best, just because it's not the worst, is it? Dave? That's such a hard question. Just because that's how, that's how things are. Is the glass half empty or half full, Adam? Jesus. 
I feel like there was more more moments to savor. No, oh, yeah. Than there were, you know, just <laughs> even as an England fan. In many uh, ways, we owe so much to the man who set all this up, Michelle Platini. Yeah, I agree. Don't we all? Uh, let's finish this this podcast then on a few questions that have been sent in that allow us to touch on a few talking points from today's news. Um, first up, we've got man like Mickey at Kazim one three four. What do England need to do in order to compete at the highest level for the twenty eighteen World Cup? The answer, Lawrence, is Sam Allardyce, who is set to be interviewed for the England job this week. Yeah, Sam, we called you in, and we think you know why. Yeah. I think I know why too. Uh, Sam, who would you put forward for the England job? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it goes. We should be our consultants. Sam. Please Sam, help us. We out. don't trust you. Um, I mean, uh, initial thoughts, I'll be honest, were a negative. But at the same time, we've just seen a tournament where a supremely organised team won the whole thing. And Sam Allardyce might be able to instill a bit of that in his England team. Well, that will be great. At least no. when we are only two years behind the curve, yes. we'll get to Russia. Exactly. Um, I, feel, I do feel like it's underestimating what Sam can do. However, I don't know if, I don't know, maybe for people like me, it doesn't represent maybe what, um, what I would want as an England manager. I, I quite liked Capello. You know, I like that he was putting the boot in a little bit. Yeah. And I, I just want, I think in many ways, Sam sort of embodies what, he's a bit of a rolled up version of all the other managers we've had. So he's a bit <laughs> like, um, he's a bit like Terry Venables. He's yeah. a bit like Glenn Hoddle. He, not the, he's a bit like um, Sven, you know, and he fancies himself a little bit. Ladies he, man. Yeah. yeah I mean, eh. <laughs> he's a bit like, um, he's a bit like Capello and he's, a, you know, apparently he's disciplinary and those sort of things. And then he's a bit, just a bit like Roy Hodgson in that sometimes he's a bit disappointing and sometimes people accuse him of being a little bit boring or conservative. <laughs> so maybe he's all the things. And not only that, he's regenerated a couple of sides or sort of, I don't know, not regenerated. Uh, he's regrown. He's, he's, he's re He's no. restocked a couple of sides. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and here he is, uh, proud Sam Allardyce, keeping Sunderland up. And what we need is a man who can just about keep England up. Well, yeah. What do you reckon, there? Because I mean, uh, Lawrence will touch on there. He's got plenty of criticism in the past for the way he plays the game, but at the same time, I don't know. It's maybe not as bad as it appears, and he may well be the best pick out of what is a slim, a slim list of candidates. I, I love Big Sam. I think he's, he's so good in a relegation battle. Um, you know, what he does with teams and how he turns them around so quickly, and how he gets them so organised. You know, West Ham are, are still reaping the benefits of, of Sam Allardyce's. System and style, and Sunderland will. Sunderland will continue to progress. Um, but for, for England, for where England want to go, I think the big question is where do England want to go? If they want to play defensive, uh, long ball, counter-attacking football, yeah, why not go with Big Sam? But I think that's the biggest thing that um, you need to obviously. Someone tell you know, Know where you're going. Know where you're going. You know what I would say, uh, Adam, is one thing that maybe a lot of people overlook. He is a a media favourite. Um, yeah. You know, people, and I think what a lot of managers have lost is the media. And it feels a lot like, if you have media on your side, and so, you know, so say, for instance, uh, you know, a player, uh, um, a, a press guy in the press room with all the prep pricks turns around and he's like, Sam, there's a, there's a, there's a real doubt in this England team. And Sam just sort of goes, well, there isn't. And everyone sort of goes, right, 
Well, oh, well, well then. Well, we'll get on with it then, shall we? I just wonder if that, for that reason, is Sam the man of the moment? Is that me? Is that me? It feels a bit, it feels a bit like, you know, Trump or Clinton. Uh, you know, we want Sanders, but is it realistic? No. So we must vote for Clinton. And in this case, Sam Allardyce is Hillary Clinton. The, the latest is that his chances of becoming the next Kingsman manager Slashed. have been enhanced by his willingness to help the Football Association to mentor a young assistant who could be groomed as his successor. Um, he's apparently left Sunderland's training camp in Austria, um, potentially to go and talk to the FA. So I think we'll be hearing more about this one Good. in the week. So do stay tuned. Yes. Um, Although not always, because we, we won't... We, I mean, you know, you can just loop the podcast over and over again. But when we say t- yeah. stay tuned, we mean... You know, you can go and do, go about your daily business, but at the same time... Come back. You know, come back. Yeah. Because it would just it's be a bloody amusing. come back. Either that, I mean, either uh, that, I'll just go back through the Euro podcast. It was very big. Of course, also today, Graziano Pella's move to China being confirmed. Adnan Qureshi tweeting in saying, why are so many players moving to China? Um, in Pella's case, I can think of, I think it's 250,000 reasons a week why he's gone there. We've already we've already saw we spoke about this a while ago um, about how this sort of China revolution is booming. It's not coming to an end anytime soon. Of course, they're plowing a lot of money into it and paying players huge wages and clubs really fees they can't turn down. Mm. Players like Pella, twenty nine years old, thirteen million, probably it's probably a little bit of a generous fee. Of course, he's probably not worth two hundred fifty grand a week either. But at the same time, if the league wants to to try and get itself up to that level over time, these are the sort of things it has to do, really. Is it also his marketing? I mean, you know, is he highly marketable? I think we do forget how fetishised so. the European people are in certain parts of the world. You I know, sort of like, oh God, he's from Italy. But more, I would have thought that's why so many South American stars moving over there because surely they're more marketable. People like Hulk. Um, yeah, you but know, I mean, but, like the Pella, Pella looks exactly like you. If you could imagine an Italian... As a footballer, Pella embodies oh, yeah. all he of that. He looks pretty Italian. Perfect for all marketing campaigns. I don't think it's going to be... It's not going to be the last player we see move to China this month. Apparently, rumours are Wayne Rooney could be the next big oh, name. shit. I'm pretty sure he's going to stay. No, because he'll be asked to play as a six if he goes to China. Mourinho <laughs> said it. He's not a six. <laughs> Let's finish then on leading us back onto Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo. Ah, ha, ha, pingas tweets in the Ballon d'Or is already decided with Cristiano winning two big titles what are your thoughts it does feel almost inevitable nowadays doesn't it I mean only an international honour was missing from his trophy cabinet he's won the Euros Champions League also this year he's become uh, the only player I think to score in four different Euros he's level with Platini he's the competition's all-time leading scorer Um, what a difference a month makes I said last week but you know He's in pole position, essentially. Even Antoine Griezmann, a name, as we said before, was in the running, essentially, has been put in that mix. He sort of almost conceded himself, saying, it's Cristiano. I think it's game, set, match. Um, I think it's over. Wow. It, been watching Wimbledon, Dave? Oh, I've not, to be honest, mate. I'm, I'm not a big fan of tennis. Right. But I think it was <laughs> He's a great... got a thing for Sue Barker, so... Exactly. Me and Sue, we go way back. Mm. <laughs> but no, I think it's... It's over. I think it's over. I think Ronaldo's done enough already to win the Ballon d'Or. Even if he didn't play for the next three, four months, he's won the Champions League, he's won the Euros. But then also that uh, scored 54 goals, six hat-tricks uh, in a single year. You know, he, He's done it already for me. Good stuff. Hard, hard to disagree with that, isn't it, Lawrence? I mean, like I say, it's mad that this time last year when 
uh, well, not this time last year, but in January uh, this year when Messi won it, everyone was saying, Ronaldo's never going to win the Ballon d'Or again. This is it for him. He's the wrong side of 30. How's he ever going to win uh, another major honour? All of a sudden, you know, everything's coming up Millhouse for Ronaldo. Everything's coming up Ronaldo House. Um, yeah. Better. So. I, mean, um, I watched the doc again the other night, his Ronaldo doc, and warmed Ooh. him a lot more the second time round. Really? Yeah. You know, I think he's, he, was, he comes over as a lovely father in that. It's obviously difficult for him to be around such an egotist as Jorge Mendes. Um, <laughs> I think he loves being around Jorge Mendes. No, I, I genuinely think he does. That's, that's, a, that's, a bit of a, that's a bit of a sly joke on my part. I, what I did find unusual about the documentary, and one thing I maybe didn't, you know, you don't catch first time round, they say goodbye a lot in uh, the documentary. All Jorge Mendes seems to say for the entire documentary is, is bye, 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 kisses, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> <laughs> the one the, the one thing that I found I mean it's no secret but the thing I found quite striking about that documentary as I said when it came out was that his focus and his determination is all on the Ballon d'Or you know of course the World Cup was was going on during that documentary and winning the, the decimal it just felt like it was all building towards the Ballon d'Or and that is his ultimate goal every year and that's what brings him the ultimate satisfaction but do I know you not think he thinks that's like some sort of all-encompassing umbrella is that if he wants to win on Ballon d'Or, then the other things sort of are along the way. I feel like he feels like those things are on the way to the Ballon d'Or. Like the the Ballon d'Or is the crowning achievement. And, you know, last night winning the Euros, winning the Champions League, that gets him to that point. I also think it kind of gets to the point where um, he, in the dock, and I think this is probably good for the Portuguese side as well, I think he says, you know, it'd be great if there were three Ronaldos in every team. Um, <laughs> that was fantastic. And I think to some extent that's right. Like, I think that's partly why he does focus on the individual honours and maybe why he's gone to Real Madrid was because, he, you know, there were, there were times where he's sort of looking around and he's, it's almost like, oh God, I'm injured, but I can't go off because they, they need me. Do you know what I mean? And actually, I think it's sort of, in many ways, it was like some people sort of coming out of that shadow or showing what they'd learned from Ronaldo. Um, and there was that really lovely moment at the end uh, where the players are all walking down the steps when Ronaldo sees Sir Alex. And that was a really nice sort of, oh, uh, nice. you know, brought it all full circle. Um, because, you know, you see him embrace and obviously they uh, share a few words. But I think there's a lot of people who've gone into making Ronaldo who he is. I don't think it's just Ronaldo on his own. Um, and, you know, obviously there's, there's Jorge Mendes there's all those other guys. But ultimately, I think there is something quite nice about Ronaldo being part of the wider picture in this and, the, and you know, Ed Asker on the goal and a few other guys chipping in. I do have a tremendous amount of respect for Ronaldo and he is Absolutely. an incredible athlete yeah. and, you know... Sent a butt. Well, you look at his achievements and, as you said, a lot of people have, have contributed to that and, as we always say, he's a self-man man. He's, he's worked himself up to this point and he is potentially, as some people saw tweeting in today, he's potentially the greatest European footballer of all time, essentially. I mean, the, the honours speak for themselves, the goals, the records. But I saw it just tweet out last night that he makes, he makes it hard to like him, I feel like. You know, those comments you're sort of saying are almost endearing for that documentary. They just sort of turn me off from him. That's not necessarily a problem because, you know, you don't necessarily need to be liked. But uh, there's just something about him that I find quite off-putting and narcissistic. But yeah, at the same time, yeah. maybe those qualities are essential to what has made him what he is. You know, that, that drive, that just all-encompassing, all selfish drive maybe means he is the greatest. I, I think know. maybe it, what, what is the thing that we don't acknowledge with Ronaldo is, is because he is such an, a one-off, because he is such, um, because we treat him as such, 
that almost uh, encourages that sort of behaviour. I think maybe sometimes we overlook that. And if everyone acted like Ronaldo, maybe we wouldn't get, you know, <laughs> we, we wouldn't get as far. I think Ronaldo realises he's very much like, it's a bit like a herd mentality, the herd uh, immunisation thing where, you know, if, if you immunise 95% of the herd and then you don't immunise one sheep, essentially that sheep can do whatever it wants because the rest of the herd is immunised. So there's a couple of guys who can act that way in football, Messi, Ronaldo. You can't have too many guys like that. I think Baylor's learned a similar thing and we saw that sort of rubbing off. So I think uh, there are elements of there are elements of it uh, of, of Ronaldo's story sort of coming even further and going further than just Ronaldo. I think you see sort of traces of it elsewhere in the game. Um, and also then, obviously, Iceland had the final laugh because they said, despite I think the tweet was something along the lines of, despite what he said, we're still happy for him that he, that he won. And you're sort of like, you know what, that's a... That's real class. That <laughs> and you can real. get a dig in, but also congratulate someone. <laughs> On that note, guys, that brings an end to this week's podcast and our Euro 2016 podcast as a whole. Hope you've enjoyed them. Hope you enjoyed the tournament as well. Don't go anywhere. We're certainly not. We're not taking a break over the summer. There's plenty of news to talk about. There's just 33 days until the Premier League kicks off, guys. There's going to be 20 of transfer news every single week. All sorts of goings on, I'm sure. So do stick around and stay tuned, essentially. Um, let's finish on the comment of the week. Uh, a review this week from Grashton in the USA. It's titled Soccer Media's Next Wave, he said. Uh, he said, there's a new wave of soccer talk emerging. The best of its ilk are young, responsibly irreverent, and hungry for fresh takes beyond clickbait soundbites and tired talking heads. Dave, Adam, Lawrence, and Kristen are clearly passionate about proving just that. I hope they stick together. We're not going anywhere. What's he, uh, what are you insinuating? Yeah, I don't, I don't what do you know. know about behind-the-scenes conversations that we have? If you like soccer, you should give this podcast a spin. What do you if mean, you where's Dave going? It's required listening. Grasham, thank you so much for your review. Guys, get your reviews in on iTunes. All you have to do is click the little link in the description of this podcast. It'll take you straight there. Give us a review, one to five, on the rating scale. Be much appreciated. It helps people find the podcast and keep our good work going because you never know, we might not stick together. Ashton's got his doubts so uh, I may as well use that to try and blackmail people into giving us some reviews Um, so desperate thank you so much for listening to the front free once again Lawrence a pleasure as always pleasure really good to I thought it was a lovely tournament I'm left with sort of a nice feeling at the end of the tournament now it was was, there's a lot of good that has come out of this tournament I think and I think a lot of realisation for a lot of people Uh, it's been a I think this is a this will go down as a marker, I think, in history of at the beginning of when football truly begins wow. to collapse. That is one hell of a conclusion to, uh, to take from this tournament. Uh, Dave, have you got any similar grandiose statements? It's not grandiose. Man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, on that note, guys, thank you so much for listening to The Front Break. We'll see you next time. Enjoy your week. Could re-record that as no, you can't really, can't do it anymore, can you? Dave O'Brien doesn't really fit in, does it? Dave O'Brien, sorry. Could you do like you know, Dave Dave talks, Dave talks, yeah, yeah. Dave, find the original music. Let's do it. Yeah, probably we could probably just make it ourselves. Dave's more like a sort of a tales type character, though, isn't he? We need a Sonic type character in there. 
Maybe you <laughs> You fucking what? That is such what? a sly backhand into you it. You, you want the tails, you mate. You, you want, want, want to take more of a rub into the back. <laughs> I know, yeah. What an insult. Oh, shit on you, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, because you're flying above me. What? You're flying fox. <laughs> so incredible. Um, lads, are you interested in getting Pokemon Go? Such a t- Yeah, I'm actually, I might download it. I've just seen an article saying here's how to get on your iPhone. Yeah, I've just been sent that as well. How'd you get you it? You have to walk around this stuff. Though. You have to walk around out in the open. What to get? Oh, it's frozen. How do you catch the? How do you catch no, the? No, it's like it's, it's, it's augmented reality. So no, I'm aware like of what the game is. I'm saying, how do you get it? What it is, Lawrence, is it's Pokemon. You see, what you do is you catch these. I'm more into Digimon. Mate, you've got to catch them all, Lawrence. Apparently, yeah, I don't know if you've the game. Been. Sorry, is that contrived? Pikachu. Yeah. Yes. Someone, someone tweeted. Um, I love all the social media stuff. Someone tweeted the other day. Uh, what did she say? She said, uh, "I just saw a guy say to his girlfriend to hold the train because he'd seen a Pokemon in the station. His girlfriend just got on the train and left." <laughs> <laughs> right, lads. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if this works now. I'm gonna try and do this the thing that you've what probably seen. Oh, have you got it? Is it like a crack thing you've got to do? So basically, you've got to log out of your Apple ID, sign in in America, put an address for America, then download it, and then sign in, sign out, and you got it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Do you want me to send you a link, Lawrence? Um, Dave, why don't you send everyone listening to the podcast a link? Uh, but I'd also love a link. That would be great, thanks. Um, the th- thing is, it, the, the more people get it, the more likely they are to... Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I've signed out. Right, go to settings and then Apple ID. <laughs> why can't you just, why can't they just put it in the UK? That's what I don't get. Because they're, they're beta testing it, I think, at the moment. The servers can't handle it. This is the article, Lawrence. <laughs> great, well... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's overload it then. Of course, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs>